Welcome to the January 13th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, we'll explore the largest case series to date describing ALK-positive histiocytosis. The authors provide new insights on the disease and its treatment with ALK inhibitors, which can provide durable responses. We'll also review a study that pinpoints alpha-ketoglutaric acid as consistently elevated in pediatric chronic GVHD and finds unique metabolomic patterns that appear to distinguish different GVHD subtypes. The first research article is entitled ALK-Positive Histiocytosis, a new clinico-pathologic spectrum highlighting neurologic involvement and responses to ALK inhibition. The co-first authors are Paul G. Kemps of the Princess Maxima Center for Pediatric Oncology in the Netherlands and Jennifer Pikarsik of Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Along with co-authors, Kemps and Pixaric report the largest series of ALK-positive histiocytosis cases to date, illustrating an expanded clinical spectrum of disease. Furthermore, they report clinical efficacy, including durable responses, among patients treated with ALK inhibitors. ALK-positive histiocytosis was first reported in blood in 2008. That report by Chan et al. included three cases, all presenting in early infancy with systemic involvement of the liver, spleen, and bone marrow. Since then, more case reports and series of ALK-positive histiocytosis have surfaced, not only in pediatric populations, but also in adults. Compared to children, adults with ALK-positive histiocytosis more often have localized disease that includes involvement of skin, soft tissue, breast, or gastrointestinal tract. Some of these reports provide expanded insights into the molecular characterization of the disorder. Of note, ALK-positive histiocytosis is frequently associated with KIF5B ALK gene fusions, which in addition to histiocytosis have only been seen in a small number of ALK-positive lung cancers. In the present study, Kemp's, Pixaric, and their co-authors report the largest series of ALK-positive histiocytosis cases to date. Their retrospective report includes a total of 52 cases from hospitals throughout North America, Europe, and Australia. They defined ALK-positive histiocytosis as a histologically confirmed histiocytosis, plus expression of two or more macrophage or histiocyte markers, plus a molecularly confirmed ALK rearrangement. They also considered pediatric cases with strong ALK immunoreactivity, in line with the classic infantile systemic disease first reported in the literature. Out of 52 patients, 39 met the criteria for ALK-positive histiocytosis. The remaining 13 were excluded from the primary study cohort. This group included 10 cases of histiocytosis with high ALK immunoreactivity, despite no evidence of ALK rearrangements in RNA sequencing. The remaining three patients had atypical histiocyte-rich tumors with ALK rearrangement. Focusing on the 39 patients with ALK-positive histiocytosis, 24 were female and 15 were male. 31 were children and 8 were adults, with age at presentation ranging from 0 days to 41 years. In total, ALK rearrangements were confirmed in 37 of the 39 patients. In the remaining two, there was insufficient material for comprehensive RNA sequencing, and ALK rearrangements were not detected by fluorescence in situ hybridization. The most common ALK fusion partner was KIF5B, which was identified in 27 of the 37 cases. 
In the remainder, five other ALK fusion partners were observed. Study authors grouped patients into what they describe as a clinical spectrum of disease. The first group included patients with multi-system disease, and the second group included patients with single-system disease. The first group was further subdivided into patients fitting the original description of ALK-positive histiocytosis, that is, infants with liver and hematopoietic involvement, versus patients with multi-system disease that did not fit the original phenotype. In all, there were six patients with classically described infantile systemic disease, 10 with other multisystemic disease presentations, and 23 with single-system disease. In patients with classic infantile systemic disease, patients had involvement not only of the liver, spleen, and bone marrow, as originally described, but also of the lungs, kidney, and skin. The course of disease varied in this group, with two of six patients experiencing spontaneous regression with only supportive care. However, the remainder needed second-line systemic therapy, and one died, which emphasizes the potentially life-threatening danger of the disorder. Among the 10 patients with multi-system disease, the most frequently involved organ was the nervous system, while other systems affected included the lungs, bone, liver, skin, and lymph nodes. The majority of patients in this group received ALK inhibitor treatment as first-line therapy, with or without chemotherapy, or as second-line therapy. Overall, seven patients received ALK inhibitors, and in all cases, the responses were durable, with no progression or relapses on treatment. Finally, the 23 patients with single-system disease were similar to what has been reported previously, according to authors, who said the most common site of disease were the nervous system along with skin and soft tissue. However, isolated neurologic involvement was more common, seen in 52% of these patients, as compared to 19% reported previously. In addition, nearly 90% of these patients were children, higher than in previous reports. ALK inhibitor treatment was tried in the first, second, or third lines for treatment for a total of four out of these 23 single-system patients. In all four cases, responses to ALK inhibition were durable, similar to what was observed among patients with multisystemic disease. A commentary on this study was provided by Elaine Jaffe of the National Cancer Institute, as well as John Chan of Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Hong Kong, first author of the original 2008 report describing ALK-positive histiocytosis. Jaffe and Chan write that this large case series continues to illuminate the diverse spectrum of histiocytic neoplasms. They said the report provides an expanded view of pathological, genomic, and clinical features of ALK-positive histiocytosis, thereby illustrating the clinical heterogeneity of the disorder. Moreover, they say the findings underscore the clinical efficacy of ALK inhibitors in these patients, as demonstrated by durable responses reported in 11 out of 11 patients treated. In discussing the paper, Jaffe and Chan pointed to the 10 patients with histiocytic lesions that showed ALK immunoreactivity, but no ALK fusions demonstrated by RNA sequencing. However, none of these 10 patients received an ALK inhibitor, Jaffe and Chan note, adding that the potential responsiveness in this group is unknown. Altogether, the findings of this largest-ever case series helps illustrate a clinical spectrum of ALK-positive histiocytosis characterized by frequent neurologic involvement and responses to ALK inhibitor treatment that are durable. Authors say that comprehensive genomic analysis of patients with histiocytic neoplasms is now necessary to help guide disease classification and therapeutic decision-making. The next article is entitled, 
Metabolomic identification of alpha-ketoglutaric acid elevation in pediatric chronic graft-versus-host disease. The lead author is Divya Subaraj of the British Columbia Children's Hospital in Vancouver. Subaraj and co-authors performed a detailed mass spectrometry-based metabolomic study in pediatric patients undergoing HSCT with the goal of identifying biomarkers of chronic GVHD. They identified an elevated alpha-ketoglutaric acid level to be a marker of chronic GVHD. They also were able to identify other distinctive metabolomic profiles of chronic GVHD versus late-acute GVHD, among other observations that may have implications for GVHD subclassification. Chronic GVHD remains a serious and common complication of allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Up to 60% of adults and 25% of pediatric patients undergoing HSCT will develop chronic GVHD, the leading cause of non-relapse mortality in the post-transplant setting. There are no early diagnostic tests for chronic GVHD. Consequently, patients experience ongoing and often irreversible organ damage that contributes to the high observed rates of morbidity and mortality. Unfortunately, there remain no well-established biomarkers for chronic GVHD. A variety of candidate proteins and immune cells have been proposed and explored as diagnostic biomarkers, but none are fully validated or qualified. Metabolomic analysis has proven to be a valuable tool for identifying biomarkers of relevance in oncology, immunology, toxicology, and nutrition. Some studies in chronic GVHD also have identified metabolites of interest, though most have been limited by small sample sizes, lack of longitudinal design, and no time-matched control populations. In the present study by Subaraj and co-authors, metabolomic profiling was employed to evaluate plasma samples from patients enrolled in ABLE PBMTC 1202 a study specifically designed to identify biomarkers for pediatric chronic GVHD. Previously in blood, investigators studying ABLE PBMTC 1202 patients reported that they had identified distinctive immune profiles that distinguished chronic and late acute GVHD. In the present report, investigators performed quantitative analysis of plasma metabolites in 222 evaluable pediatric patients from the study. They conducted a risk assignment analysis of metabolomic patterns at day plus 100 post-HSCT for patients who went on to develop chronic or acute late GVHD as compared to controls without chronic GVHD. They also compared metabolomic patterns at chronic GVHD onset to those in time-matched controls with chronic GVHD. A key finding of their investigations is that plasma alpha-ketoglutaric acid was elevated consistently, both before chronic GVHD and at the time of onset. While several metabolites of interest emerged, alpha-ketoglutaric acid remained the single most significant one, both in the day-plus 100 risk analysis and in analysis of later diagnostic onset. These elevations in alpha-ketoglutaric acid were not impacted by factors including severity of chronic GVHD, previous acute GVHD, or pubertal status. The investigators also found distinct patterns separating chronic GVHD from late acute GVHD, and also found differences in the metabolomic profile for clinical presentations including pulmonary GVHD, de novo GVHD, and progressive chronic GVHD. For example, Onset samples from subjects with de novo chronic GVHD had elevated indole acetic acid as compared to other chronic GVHD cases. 
By contrast, progressive chronic GVHD was associated with elevations in glutamic acid, among other metabolites. Metabolomic differences in subjects with pulmonary chronic GVHD included a decrease in plasma serotonin levels, along with an increase in phospholipids. In a commentary on this study, Hildegard T. Greinix of the Division of Hematology at the Medical University Graz in Austria said it was interesting that plasma-alpha-ketoglutaric acid emerged as the single most significant metabolite to be elevated both prior to chronic GVHD and at its onset. Alpha-ketoglutaric acid is a key intermediary in the mitochondrial tricarboxylic acid cycle and a product of glutaminolysis. Glutamine is an amino acid that is a key source of energy and production of macromolecules in activated T-cells, while glutaminolysis is central to metabolic reprogramming of T-cells during activation. This could also be the case in activation of GVHD-inducing alloreactive T-cells, Greinick said in her commentary. Greinick said the authors are to be congratulated for this important work which represents the largest perspective and well-characterized cohort to date of pediatric patients with chronic or late-acute GVHD. However, while the study has many strengths, she said the sample sizes are ultimately too small to draw definitive conclusions regarding difference between subgroups, such as de novo and progressive chronic GVHD. She said future studies should consider the heterogeneity of GVHD and the inclusion of an adult patient cohort. Further, the predictive value of specific metabolites needs to be cross-validated in an independent cohort with the goal of developing a biomarker panel. Combining such a panel with immune cell and cytokine biomarkers could yield an algorithm to accurately diagnose and assign risk of GVHD. Overall, results of the study by Subaraj and co-authors demonstrate a consistent elevation of alpha-ketoglutaric acid before and at onset of chronic GVHD. In addition, the differences in metabolic patterns between GVHD subtypes suggest the potential for improved classification of GVHD. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.